0: Today's episode features the fierce and trailblazing Carmen Rosas. Carmen is an estate planning attorney, you know, think trusts, wills, probate, but she's also so much more. She's using her knowledge and her voice to help empower marginalized communities to not only build wealth, but protect it. She knows all too well that between outdated cultural norms and gender norms, certain communities have seen wealth as inaccessible much less think about how to protect that wealth for future generations. But truth be told, many families have been doing this for centuries, and it's past due that everyone have access to these wealth-preserving tools. I absolutely loved this conversation and hope that after listening, you also take some time to reevaluate your estate plan, or maybe evaluate it for the first time. Get motivated, take action, and protect your legacy. Enjoy. Every person I've ever met cares deeply about something, whether it be women's rights, access to the voting booth, the freedom to believe in a god or the universe, even their child's education. And oftentimes, when advocating for these causes, people find themselves depleted, full stop. Is it possible for us to create the world of our ideals from a place of lack? Well, what if we flip the script? What if we can shift our focus from what we don't want to what we do want? What if we can create the world we want from a place of joy and love instead? Finding the nuance in this shift is a lifetime practice, and that is what this podcast is here to discuss and investigate. My name is Lola Sofia Bovell, and I am the host of the Latina Advocate Podcast. All right. So a lot of you know I'm passionate about women and mamas knowing their rights, especially at work. We envelop so much of our identities in our career, and unfortunately, the sentiment isn't always reciprocated by our employers. That's why I'm so excited to announce that I'm partnering with Daphne Delbo, also known as the Mom Attorney, so that you can become your own lawyer and confidently advocate for your rights at work. Right now, Latina Advocate podcast listeners exclusively get 10% off when joining the Mom Attorney Academy. All you have to do is go to the link in this episode's show notes, and upon checkout, put in coupon code LATINAPOD10. That's L-A-T-I-N-A-P-O-D-1-0. Learn to advocate for yourself in a way that is well-received and protected. Address concerns without fear of losing your job. Heal your body, take care of your mental health, and get paid your worth. Join the Mama Attorney Academy today so that you can strategically advocate for yourself. Just click the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio. And upon checkout, put in coupon code LATINAPOD10. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Latina Advocate Podcast. Your host here, Lola Sofia Bobel. I am with the amazing, the fantabulous Carmen Rosas. She is an attorney I actually met, I guess you can put like met in quotation marks, (laughs) on Instagram. And I love what she's doing. She's all about wealth building and protecting that wealth, which is something we don't really want to talk about because when we think about estate planning or trusts, that really means like when I die, right? And who wants to think about, yes, when I die, this is going to happen, (laughs) but it's so important. So without further ado, Carmen, tell us a little bit about yourselves, if you could introduce yourselves for our
1: listeners. Yeah. Hi, Lola. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Carmen Rosas. I'm an estate planning attorney and legacy protector, as I like to call myself in California. I do. I create living trust, power of attorney, healthcare directives. All those fun legal documents that you need in case you become incapacitated or pass away. And also, if you have a business, we prepare the documents to make sure your business can continue running even when
0: you're not. So important. I really appreciate all the work that you do. I guess we can just go ahead and dive in. So why be an attorney? Like, why well, did you decide to be an attorney?
1: I get this question all the time, and people are like, Oh, did you always want to be an attorney? No, absolutely not. I actually fell into it. So, I started out as a business major. I always knew I wanted to get into business. I wanted to run my own business. I wanted to either be that or a CEO of some big company, travel the world.
0: Yes, and girl. I got into yes.
1: college and hated my business classes. I was like, Econ, <laughs> what is this? Business 101? No, thank you. And I fell in love with anthropology. And so it's just the study of different cultures. And I was fascinated. But by the time I got to the end of my junior year and they were like, you got to get a job after this. I was like, wait, what? What?" And I'm the first in my family to go to college. So I was just kind (laughs) of going through it, figuring things out as I went along. And as I got to that end of year, I was like, we need to find a job. What are my options as an anthropology major? Do I become a professor and get my PhD? Do I go on like archaeological digs and be in the heating sun and sweating and gross and manual labor?" I was like, no, my dad sent me to college for a reason. And so it was just like, none of these fit. But luckily there was this emphasis on law and society, which I was just fascinated with other cultures. So we compared the tribal systems in New Zealand to the U.S. legal system and just how different communities and different societies essentially deal with like illegal or illegalities, right? We'll call them. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated. And so I took that one class and I was like, oh, I'll just go to law school. And I applied to law school mostly because I didn't want to go get a job. I had worked with my dad, (laughs) like a real job, like in the real world. And obviously, and I also didn't know what I was going to do. So I was like, I need Mm -hmm. some more time in school. And the only job that I had really had Up until then was working with my dad. So from the age of 13, every summer I would go and I spent my summers working with my dad at his business and I would answer phones and he had a car and auto body shop. And so I would order parts for him, greet the customers, fill out work orders and deal with contracts and things like that. Also because he's from Mexico and so his English wasn't that great. So I would help him read and translate and do all that stuff. So I started that. At, and so going in to like really figure out, you I just also feel like our society trying to push us into figuring out what we want with our life by 20 is just crazy. I still don't know right? what I want to do with yeah. my life. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to be <laughs> still figuring that. And I'm almost 40. And I ended up in law school. And while I was in law school, I tried dropping out twice because I was like, I hate it here. I needed something more creative. I wanted to go into marketing. I really like, so obviously business was my thing. I love marketing and I just thought it was so fascinating. I later found out that someone who's in my anthropology program moved to Paris and was doing marketing for some company out there, perfume company to target Americans. So their folk, her focus was like on American marketing. And I was like, why didn't I think of like, how come I didn't know about that? Anyhow, I ended up in law school. The second time I tried dropping out, it was because I, wa- I was gonna go become an interior designer. So clearly my brain was craving some more creativity. <laughs> But I stuck it out because God forbid I not keep my word. And I told my dad and he was like, oh, i every, telling everyone he was so proud. Right. My daughter's going to be an attorney. So I was already the first person to go to college. I'm the only attorney in my family. So we're just paving the way and just breaking all pressure, the norms. Though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much pressure. And so graduated from law school. I finished it. I And while I was in law school, I worked full time during the day and I went to school at night. So I did a part-time program. So it did take me four years instead of three. But we finished it, and then that's how I ended up as an attorney. How I got into estate planning was I initially. So while I was working full time, I also volunteered at a nonprofit called the Pro Bono Project, and we helped low-income families, mostly Spanish speakers, get restricted well, women. And there were so many women because they were they became stay-at-home moms and they had no access to assets. Mm-hmm. There were restraining orders that were needed, and so I felt so just called to help these women. And so I was like, I'm going to go into family law. I'm going to do restraining orders. I'm going to help women get custody of their kids and just, just do that work. And so that's originally what I had planned, but while I was waiting for bar results, and this was in 2011, I was waiting for bar results and my grandmother passed away and she had been sick on and off. And so we knew that time was coming. We just, and she had been in and out of the hospital for probably eight years. And so it was just one of those things where we never knew when it would be the last time. And so it happened while I was waiting for bar results. And at that time, I was working for an attorney who did estate planning and business law. So I went in trying to figure out the ins and outs of solo practice and what that looks like because I knew early on because of the firm, the work that I did while in law school that I didn't want to go work at big law. I knew yeah. I, that wasn't the life I wanted because if I had kids, I wanted to be able to be present, set my own hours, not ask permission for, from anyone to like take time off. And so fast forward. And so my grandmother passed away she had a diy estate plan so some documents she had pulled off the internet mm-hmm. assembled herself and she didn't actually fund a trust which means putting the assets into the trust name because she didn't know because she didn't consult an attorney and didn't have the legal know-how yeah and so the attorney that i was working with luckily for me was like you do all the work i'll mentor you through it so we've saved my family like thousands of dollars um in me doing this work for practical experience, we should say for work experience, right? Mm. But watching my mom go through the loss of her mother while also trying to navigate like legal documents that she had no, my mom graduated from high school, no college experience. So trying to navigate just like legalese is a whole other language, right? And Even as attorneys, like we joke about how, you know, Horrible it's like it a is. foreign thing, like yeah, going through it. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And this, there's so many words, yet you know, we're supposed to be super concise is very interesting. <laughs> I don't understand what part, which one are we doing? My mom go through that, I realized. And the only asset that my grandmother had was a house. And she had actually purchased that as a single mom with her mother, who was also a single mom. So these two amazingly amazing women purchased this house together, gathered their funds and bought this house. And we would have had to go through probate had my grandma not at least done the DIY stuff. We still had to go through court, but it saved us from going through the whole probate process. But watching my mom go through it, realizing that she could lose this one house that like all of her memories were spent in from growing up that we spent summers at. I was just like, more people need to know about this. How come not everybody, especially in our community, in the Latin community, people aren't talking about this. We're not talking about how we can protect our assets and pass it on. And even clients that come in now, I always ask them, especially the Spanish speakers. I'm like, how did you hear about it? Some of it is because clients that I worked with referred them, but a lot of times it's because, oh, I heard the little viejito that I work for. I'm thinking of a garden, one of my clients, he's a gardener, he has a gardening business. And he's like the old man, he would pay me with a check. And it said, in like the trust of, and so he's, like, I went on Google to see what it was. And so some of it is just self-education and So I was like, we need to do this. We need to get out and spread the word and tell everyone about it. And so that's how I ended up in estate planning. And initially I was like, work with anyone. And as I was going through, I've been in practice 10 years now, I realized looking at my, the demographics of my clients, I was like, so many of them, one are Spanish speaking because I speak Spanish and two clients were coming to me just because of my name, because it was Spanish. Carmen Rosas. I don't know what other what other origin I would have, but, and so I realized that so much of what I had to do was go into the community and share this information. And so here I am, and that's how I got into estate planning.
0: It actually reminds me of an Instagram post that you recently made, and it was about a situation where the husband, if I'm remembering correctly, the husband passed away And he hadn't left anything. I think it was for his parents, right? Basically the parents had paid for it. Essentially they paid for the down payment of the house. They've been paying the mortgage. Right. And um, so essentially it was their house like in practice, but it was still Mm -hmm. legally in his name. The estate planning documents weren't there. And then basically everything's going to the wife and the wife is now looking to evict essentially the parents, which is just a horrible situation. Yeah. So what it was
1: parents, gave the daughter the money to buy the house. And my as daughter. we do, and I see so many people in, our, in the the Spanish-speaking community, it's, oh, I'm gonna put my comadre on the title, right? Or my parents will give me the down payment and I'll buy the house. And so what essentially happened was the parents gave the daughter the payment for the house. They mm-hmm. were paying the mortgage. They were It was their house. They lived in it. The daughter, but the title, which is always super important. The title of the home was in the daughter's name. I think it was her name or in with the husband's name. I can't remember exactly, but it was, so the wife passed away. The parents are still alive. So they're living in their house, hoping they're just going to continue doing that. The husband now is trying to evict the parents from the house saying that it's his house. Mm No, the parents have paid for it. And so it's just, it's a mess now. And no estate planning documents were in place because people also don't think, oh, I'm going to I'm not going to die before my kids. My kids will outlive me. And therefore, if I put it in their name, it'll be fine and protected. But we don't know who's going to go first and when we're going to go.
0: And there's also, I would think there was probably an element of trust there, right? That the <laughs> husband is going to honor the, the situation and the, basically the whatever was agreed upon, right? beforehand. Thinking about these things, I think it's pretty obvious, but I think making the ex- implicit explicit is always a good thing. But like, why is it important to have estate planning documents? And let's even dig a little deeper. So a will versus a living trust. So what is the, what is the difference? And then why is it important to have a trust specifically when we're thinking about property?
1: Yeah. So the probate exemption, at least in California, if you have assets that are worth more than $188,000, the fair market value combined. So it's like cash, cars, et cetera, property or real property on its own worth more than $20,000, right? So if I'm living in California, I don't know where you can buy any property in this point in the United States for 20,000. Maybe it's like an empty lot somewhere. I'm not sure, but obviously the laws have had the limits have not they don't believe in inflation. So here we are. Yeah. And so if that's the case, your family will have to go through probate. So people throw the word will and trust around. So I think this is a great question and it's just like interchangeable, but it's really not right. So a will is a legal document that says where you want all of your stuff to go. What people don't realize is that just because you have a will, it doesn't keep you out of court. You actually still have to go through the whole probate process. So essentially we have three different options when it comes to estate planning. One is you do nothing and you just go through probate and the state laws dictate what happens with intestate succession, right? There's a fancy legal word. Um, and so you go through the whole probate process. It's about 5% fair market value in terms of cost. Time is about 18 months minimum. The second option is a will, right? Where you create docu- you create a document that says, this is where I want all my stuff to go. It still has to go through the probate process. So the only difference is with intestate succession, or if you have nothing, is that it, everything goes to your next of kin. If you have a will, it goes to whoever you list. So Say you have a partner that you're cohabitating with or not legally married to, um, or you want it to go to a charity, or you want to go to grandchildren or godchildren because you don't have your own children. A will would, you, would basically state all of that, and then it would be presented to the judge, and the judge would then go through and say, okay, everything gets distributed ter- per the terms of the will. Again, same issues as public record. Everything's public record if it's getting filed with the court. Um, creditors will be notified. It gets put in the newspaper. So all the same formalities as a probate. The only difference is you have instructions. And the third option, which is a trust is you create this trust. And I like to call it a treasure box. Everything you own goes into this treasure box. You hold the key. When you become incapacitated or you pass away, you can then get to pass that key on to whoever you dictate is next in charge. And then they have access to everything immediately everything is private, right? Everything's inside this box. There's no outside exposure. Length of time is immediate. You have immediate access. And it also comes into play upon incapacity. So not only is it upon your death, but also incapacity for it. But whereas the will is just upon death. I hope that, yeah. (laughs) There's so much like information that I can share. And so I don't want to like bombard people, but that's really the difference between a will and a trust. One still goes through probate, one doesn't. And there's lots of privacy and obviously additional benefits. Also, backing up really quick with the trust, if you have children, you can be very specific and you can say, it's almost like your kids become quote unquote like trust fund kids, but it really is just making sure that your assets are protected for a certain number of years or indefinitely. Because what you can't do is say, hey, my kids don't get to touch any of this. They'll get to be supported. They'll get health stuff, health expenses, education, whatever they need for their necessities, they'll be supported. But anything left over will go on to my grandkids or down the line for at least 99 years or something like that, but it can continue on for generations. So there's lots of different options available versus if you go probate route, it's everything to the individual at 18, because by then they're a legal adult.
0: So speaking of trust fund kids, I've heard that term thrown around quite a bit. And I think a lot of people associate trusts with people that are extremely wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking, looking into the billions. So I think a lot Mm -hmm. of folks don't even consider it in terms of, protecting your wealth if you're just a regular middle-class family. However, it's not the case. So I was wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit more about what a trust would look like if you're just like a, you consider yourself to be a regular middle-class family maybe mm-hmm. every one house and you have your bank accounts. What is the importance of having the trust? And even at that point, and why would you recommend it as opposed to just leaving everything in the will?
1: Yeah. So the trust, the biggest significance of the trust and transferring and preserving generational wealth is really just so that one, it doesn't have to get sold through probate to meet the the fees. Because again, like I said, 5% fair market value. They don't care if you have a mortgage, any liabilities, credits, anything like that. It's what can we take all your stuff and sell it for? So with the trust, yes, you know, even saying it sometimes I'm like trust fund kid, like you always have this perception of this spoiled brat kid who's like doing reckless things, not taking care of themselves, et cetera. And yes, that can apply to very wealthy people. However, the reality is, especially me being in California, right. I'm in the Bay area, our little shack, our quote unquote, like little house is just, Oh, it's not a big deal. It's a two bedroom, but that two bedrooms worth like $2 million. Right. And so it may not seem super significant, but also If you have children, right, or if you have people that you want to pass this on to, putting it in a trust protects it. And so you can pass that on in a way that is conditional if you want, right? You can't get any of this until you go to college. You have to be a good acting member of society. You have to actually have a job and be making your own, making a name for yourself rather just than just living off of this and putting it into a trust. You get to make, you get to get as specific as you want. You can say, if you don't get an amount until you're married, doesn't mean that you have to get married, but then you can waive the. I'm thinking also of a family. They have an individual, they have one daughter, only a child. They put language in saying that if she does not sign a prenup before she gets married, within five years, she will lose her inheritance because they were so adamant (gasps) about her protecting her. This they have two properties, right? One was an investment property and one that they lived in. But they were we worked so hard that we don't want her to lose this in a divorce. We don't want her to lose it because she just gives it away. And obviously at that point, once it's hers, there's not so much they can do. So yes, she could sign the prenup and she can agree to all of this and then give it away if she feels like it. However, they were doing their part to say, okay, if I'm not here, how would I want this to look in an ideal situation? How would I want it to go? And even just by creating the documents, you're letting your family and the members know like your hopes and dreams and your wishes. And so a lot of times just that is enough because they're like, oh, this isn't what my parents would have wanted, or this is what my parents would have wanted. And so they'll follow it just because they're a kid, right? And they like love their parents and they want to continue on and carry out their legacy. And so it's very, it's amazing and how you can protect the assets. Also, when you create a trust for your kids, as long as it stays within that trust and they never actually take it out of and put it in their name, it's protected from creditors. It then will serve as an asset protection trust. So say as we're building this wealth, right? Our whole goal is that our kids have something better, right? Or that it's like a snowball effect, right? So as it's going on generations, it's getting bigger and bigger. And so with an asset protection trust, it would not subject your children's assets or estate to estate taxes if it got so big that you're like, what do we do with all this money and how do we avoid paying taxes? So you're already setting up a mechanism to help protect assets and protect from taxes down the line. One other thing I didn't mention about a trust is capital gains benefits, which mm. means that if I buy a house right now, or say I bought a house 20 years ago, and it was only worth like 300,000 here in Silicon Valley, now it's worth a million. And I transfer it to my daughter's, my daughter's only eight, but if I transferred it to my child's name and she was of age, it would be, she, so she would get it just because I was like, oh, I need to, or I need to sell it. Oh, let's do it this way. I need to sell it to her so that she can have it. And I'll sell it to her for a dollar and we won't have any issues. So I sell it to her for a dollar. But when we look at the dollar to say the day that I die, on wood, say it's tomorrow and it's valued at 1.5 million. We'll say that. I sell it to her for a dollar. I die and it's worth 1.5 million or she goes to sell it and it's worth 1.5 million. She's paying capital gains on 1.499 million, right? So whatever $1 is less, but she's paying taxes on the increased value on the equity of that home when she sells it. If you put it in a trust and you wait to transfer until you die, it steps up to that date of death value. So then it would be 1.5 million. And then if she ever sells it and say it's worth 2 million, she's only paying on that 500,000 or say she sells it within the year. She's not paying any capital gains because the difference in equity is not going to be huge unless there's like this real estate boom. But so trust protect from capital gains. If you did it through probate or through a will, you don't get that same benefit and you're paying taxes on the equity of the house. So let's talk
0: access a little bit, because I'm thinking about how much it costs to really hire an attorney. And I would imagine that's really probably the hangup for a lot of people in terms of deciding to really build this trust and really feeling confident in it, right? And knowing that it's really serving its purpose. So just right now, even those numbers that you just gave, that in and of itself is really probably going to be more than what you would pay for an attorney anyway. Yeah. It's worth it regardless. What, can we, what kinds of things that can we do to help make sure that maybe marginalized communities that we don't have maybe a lots of wealth to be able to give to an attorney, but at the same time have enough in terms of assets so really it's worth their while to invest in having a trust, for example. Mm -hmm. How can we create that access so that we're really encouraging more folks to get involved in this process?
1: And that's a great question because it's something that I've been trying to figure out, right? Because an average estate plan with an attorney, right. is about $6,000 to do a comprehensive plan where you're covering power of attorney, healthcare directive, living trust, will guardianship, getting the deed transferred. And so a full comprehensive, like one-on-one is around $6,000. And so finding when I have clients who are like, can I make payments? And so what we do is we set it up and we hold the documents and they make their payments, but if anything should happen to them, we have their documents so that their family doesn't have to go through probate but then essentially we can collect from their estate not to say that's an ideal situation but there are some situations where people just really are living paycheck for paycheck and are cash poor and house rich and so working with that and then we've also been working on actually we're just going to be um, launching it in the next month is this idea of like completely virtual planning where we do one i do one session with them right or they do a session with an attorney in my office we get everything drafted and then we can email it to them. So then they're responsible for printing, notarizing, get, taking on some of those admin costs that we would normally front, but then just giving them instructions on how to do it. The only drawback is like making sure you get it done, right? Because I also do have a DIY course that I launched last year in hopes of getting people more access. But the reality is people, I think the mindset around it is people just don't want to think about it. They don't want to do it or they get overwhelmed. And so they just don't get the documents done. And so we're hoping that the second thing that we're launching, aside from the like the full service planning, is this more virtual, hey. Here's one-on-one it's more affordable. So that's going to run about 2,500, but the amount that they're saving just in probate costs. And so sometimes it generally isn't that people don't see the value, but they generally just don't have the means to pay for it. And sometimes it is them saying, Oh, I can just do it myself. or And, but they never get around to it. And then I have one situation the husband ended up falling. He didn't want to do the estate plan. And I have so many women that come in. All right? So women just take control and just do it. Set mm-hmm. the appointment, make the moves. Right. But the wife finally she finally reached out and she was like, I know I called you a while back. My husband now fell. We need to get this estate plan done. Like, we don't know what's gonna happen next. He has capacity. And so we were able to do like a quick turnaround to get his estate plan done. But he kept putting it off for so long. And now he's a little he's like 80 years old and he's his body's just not as strong as it used to just slip and fall. And now he's bedridden. And then it just declines from there. So just making sure that you're doing this in a time where you have full capacity, where you know that it needs to get done. And reality is that we don't do this for ourselves. We're doing it for the people who come after us. I'm not creating a state plan for me. I'm creating it for my daughter. So she doesn't have to deal with the headache and seeing it firsthand, or even if there is an estate plan, sometimes it's still overwhelming because emotions are so high. Right. But it just makes it a little bit easier. And then with our firm, when you do the full service, we also do like a remembrance and memorial instructions. And if you have kids, we'll do a little video or letter that says, this is my hopes and dreams for you. So if something happens to me, I, what I wanted for you and the life that I wanted you to live. And then we do the remembrance and memorial instructions where it's like, I want to be cremated. I want to be buried. I want doves. I want a mariachi band, have a big party, whatever it is very much this holistic approach to what does it mean when I pass away and how will I be remembered and what will people say about me? So we do the very holistic planning. (laughs) That's so emotional. Yeah, You
0: can't even, oh my goodness. So I have a couple, two questions that came out of everything. One is you talked about being incapacitated. So I'm just wondering how you draw that out. What makes someone incapacitated and are they outlining what that is beforehand? This is what I would mean in terms of what it means to be incapacitated. So that's my first question. And the second question that I have is one of the things that I noticed about some of the things on your social media is that you're not just a traditional lawyer. And so you're an attorney, right? But you also incorporate coaching. You also incorporate a lot of your cultural experiences, right? There's more to it. And I really think that's beautiful because frankly, I hated law school as well. And (laughs) I just find the law, it's almost like sexier to just avoid all human experience from the law. Like you just That's almost like the, that's the sexier thing to do, to be as conservative as possible, yeah. right? And so to bring this humanity back and really look at this person as a holistic human being is really big and it's something beautiful. I think you do. So I'm just wondering how, in terms of your practice, you incorporate how to talk about money and how yeah. to get around psychological hangups around money. And then in terms of talking about death too and how to get around... The psychological issues around death. I guess we'll start with the incapacitated question because okay. <laughs> really varies, I, feel I was like, like that, that
1: second be- part we can talk about. There's so much there. Yeah. yeah. So incapacitation typically is set by law, right? And we'll the breakdown is one is two doctors say that you're incapacitated and you can't make your own decisions. So. I guess if we're looking at like most situations, it's like maybe there's a bad car accident and someone has like brain damage, right? They're no longer able to make decisions for themselves or they are older and they have dementia, Alzheimer's, or they just, it gets to that point. And you can also, so incapacitation is set by two doctors in that way, right? And they'll do a medical evaluation and you get two opinions. So it's not Hey, okay, I'm paying off someone to say you're incapacitated so I can take over all your money. And then the other one is a court says that you're incapacitated. So you would have to go to create a court hearing petition your family with petition, say she's lost her mind. She can't make decisions. She can't take care of herself. She's giving it away to all these people who are calling scamming her and she's just giving her money away for no reason. And so that would be court. And then the third one is if you go MIA for like more than 30 days. So if no one's talked to you, you go missing something happens. So if you decide to go on like a 30 day silent retreat, at least let people know that you're going to be gone for 30 days and that you won't be communicating. So they don't start worrying about you. But so that's how incapacitation is. And the two documents that are super important is a medical directive and a financial power of attorney. So the financial power of attorney says, if I'm incapacitated, this person's going to make medical or financial decisions for me. They'll pay my taxes, pay all my expenses, make sure I have a house when I come back. I come to, or it can be even long-term that they're forever going to take care of me. The other document is a advanced healthcare directive. So who's going to make medical decisions for me? I'm in a car accident. I'm in a coma, but I need a blood transfusion or I need the surgery. Who's going to make those on my behalf? And so setting it all up ahead of time is super important when you have the capacity. This is what I would want to happen to my body or to my finances. If I can't make these decisions on my own. And then of course, picking someone that you super, you trust to follow those out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just wonder, I'm just hearing you speak about these things and even what's in the trust and what's in a will. And was the person even fully there and capacitated when they wrote these documents up? I just feel like there's just so many options for people to dispute what's in these documents, right? Is that something that you also help people with if there's ever a dispute that comes out of the documents?
1: Yeah. So we have not, luckily for us, have not had to deal with, um, any of knock on wood. I should say we've had one issue where there was a dispute, but there were already family dynamics that were off early on. And so yes, we can help people. I don't really like to do litigation. So typically we'll guide and consult and see if there's like a way to settle. If not, we do refer them out. But within our documents, we put no contest clause. So if somebody is contesting a trust that has, they have no reason contesting just because they want more and they lose, they will be responsible for the attorney's fees, as well as losing their share or whatever interest they had. Okay. Yeah.
0: That <laughs> so we put lots
1: of, yeah, we create yeah. lots of, there's lots of language that gets to get put in the trust. Whereas with a will or through probate, you're showing up in court, it's public record. So anybody can contest it, even if whether or not they have a valid claim.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a headache that is. Yes. So yeah, let's talk about your amazing way of practicing law and how you're creating this kind of new area which is beautiful i don't know if you mind just sharing a little bit about how you talk about money and how you talk about death and these issues that are very touchy
1: it's funny so when i first started my practice back in 2012 like i was maybe a year into it and i was like there has to be more like i'm just going to create documents for the rest of my life this is all it is right just my Mm -hmm. same going back to like how am I even a lawyer? And I was like, I really want people to think about how they're living, like on a day-to-day basis. And it wasn't until I was coming up to my 30th birthday and I was like, God, I need a sign. Like I'm going to be 30. What's my next step? And so About six months later, I had had started going on this like spiritual and personal development journey, right? Where it's like that quarter midlife crisis or whatever they call it. So I started going on that. And then six months later, I found out I was, I never planned on having kids. I was in a really toxic, abusive relationship because, and I just, I stayed in it for so many other mental reasons, right? Mm -hmm. My history and upbringing and things like that. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? I was like, I'm not ready. Even though I was 30. Right. And I started thinking about if I give birth to this child or when I give birth to this, two things, if I give birth and I die while giving birth, what will people say about me? What will they tell her about me? Who have I been up until now? And will she be proud of a mom that like she had, whether or not she gets to meet me. And so I went even like deeper into like, how am I showing up in this world? What does that look like? If I die, what will people say? Granted, like there was no, it was not a high risk pregnancy. There was nothing but being in the space of dealing with people in death. I think I had just a very different idea of what it all meant. And so as I was going through that, and I had my daughter and I went through becoming a mom in the first year and surviving it, just conversations with other moms. I realized so many women, right? Because some of the things that we get is, oh, you're going to be a mom. Your life is over. It's, you're, it's over. We're supposed to be martyrs to our kids. And I was like, hold on, that's not the case. I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm going to make sure because now I feel like I have something worth living for. Mm. I want to show her everything that's possible, right? Because growing up, my dad's from Mexico. I was not expected to, but like I took his boots off after work. I would give him dinner. And I remember telling him once. one time, it was such a huge compliment uh, when he was like, oh, you're going to make a great wife one day. And I'm like, what? Oh, yes. This is like, it was my dream come true. And as I got older and it became this law firm owner, I was like, I can't believe he said that. It was one of these things. So just culturally, just like the things that were ingrained in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, we're about to change it because I want my daughter to be whatever she wants, do whatever she wants and, and live her life the way she wants yes. without feeling like some of the limitations or being within this box. Because I think so much of how I ended up even staying in law school was because I told them I would. So now I have to keep my word and I'm stuck here. Mm -hmm. Now I have to like make them proud and I have to do it for them, not really for myself. And once I had my daughter, I was like, we're really changing how we're living life. Boundaries are coming up. We're getting rid of toxic people. I left her dad and it's always a work in progress, right? Because it's like years and like generations work. If you really go deeper into our great grandmothers, right? And all of this these like traumas that have passed been passed on for generations, it's very ingrained in us. And so as we are moving forward and breaking generational cycles about money and that we can have a, a lot and that money is not for just rich white people. You know that we can have it too. It's for the coloreds and for women, right? As we break it, it's just this whole so much that we are working through to get there. And so to go back, I just start asking questions and doing the work. So I actually have a book. I don't even have it with me right here, but I have a book that I did where it's like six weeks of getting to know yourself. And it's part of, it's based on a lot of my own journey and the things that came up for me, like, who am I? What are my financial goals? How do I really feel about money? What is my money story? What do I believe money is? Do I believe money is bad? Do I believe it's really for me? Do I feel like I deserve it? And that I'm worth having the income goals that I want. Right. It's like a hundred thousand. It's, oh, great. I have a six figure income. The reality is six figures, not that much anymore. Right. So it's like, okay, what is it? And when you think about what if we get to a million, it's, oh, how does your body react to a million dollars? And do you believe it? Does your subconscious like let you believe that it's something that is possible for you, or is there a lot of resistance? And so in the coaching part that I do is we go deeper into some of that, right. It's really checking in with your body, getting out of your head and really redefining what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a mother? What does it mean to be successful? What does wealth mean to me? So all of these things where we get to start redefining what all of that is so that we're creating a life that we love and that we're that's designed based on the way we want it while also protecting it, right? So that as we grow our wealth and our money, it's being protected so we can pass it on to the next generation so they have that step up, right? They are not starting from ground zero, Every generation. And that's what people have been doing it for like years. And unfortunately, like communities of color, right? Marginalized communities, they don't know any better. And I'm here to, to share the information and spread the knowledge
0: oh so good and I think particularly women of color I mean we, we have like really and that's essentially what intersectional feminism is right I mean we have this kind of double analysis right because we're dealing with the race component and the cultural components of being a part of like for you and me being part of the Latinx community but then there's also just the fact that we are women too and, and you can, it's not something that you can just kind of slice and say hey women over here and being Latinx over here no it's very much interweaved in terms of what our experience is I'm also grateful for for the work that you do, I think it's really important and it really sheds light on why we need more women of color in the law as well. And yes. these holistic approaches. Yes. So, yes, if
1: there's any of you that are in law school, thinking of law school. And the great thing is, right, is like so many in the community go back to law school and they're like, I want to give back and mm-hmm. like criminal law or they end up in immigration and which is great or a nonprofit. But That's I'm like, I, we, I was like, <laughs> we need people in estate planning, especially if you're Spanish speaking. Mm-hmm. The need is so there. Like I have clients or prospective clients who reach out from I've had Massachusetts, Colorado, Utah, Washington, Oregon, that's just to name like five who reach out and are like, can you help me do this estate planning for me or my parents? Or do you know a Spanish speaking attorney in any of these states? And the great thing is, especially now with Zoom and the technology, is you can live anywhere within a state as long as you're barred there you can practice estate planning within that state and provide these services. Right. So if there's anybody there who's listening and you're in the law or want to get into the law or explore estate planning, reach out to me, please. So we can get more of us into the estate planning realm to get these assets protected.
0: Yes, Carmen was even, she was even <laughs> recruiting me before we officially got online. She
1: was like, you're gonna take the bar in Florida? Let's work together.
0: Yes. Let's get estate planning for Latinas in Florida. Totally. Yeah. And
1: I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm like, I have clients like, a lot of clients in Nevada. And I'm like, maybe I just take the Nevada bar. And my partners are you crazy. Like, when are you going to take the bar? When are you going to start? Because the thing is too, right. With California, there's no reciprocity. So we don't get to, so I'm like, what state can I go and take it in where there's reciprocity (laughs) and I can cover more territory, but also be capacity, right? There's only one of me. I'm bringing on team members, but trying to find a Spanish speaking attorney is like, It's tough. And so if you speak Spanish, there is a whole market, a niche market out there that's like (laughs) waiting to give you money. I promise. (laughs) And you eat like a couple, lots of immigration attorneys because immigration is federal. So I was at a conference and I was sitting next to an immigration attorney in Utah and he's, can I send clients to you? And I'm like, I can't like, it's all state specific. And so unless I took the bar in every state, which is just I no. can, that's not one of my life goals. I probably, no, like that's no, no. just not what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to get people. And even if I do search, right, Latina, Spanish speaking, or not even Latina, but truth is like so many women, as we become more empowered about our finances, they're willing to make the decision and take that first step. Whereas mm. a lot of times the men are very stuck in kind of their ways and are like, if I sign this, I'm going to die. There's so much like culturally, Yeah. just yeah. all of it. But yeah, so if you're interested in the law or if you're like a practicing attorney, who speaks Spanish or would be comfortable, like learning Spanish, even call me. <laughs> Let's talk. And we can figure out how we can get you up and running with a estate planning practice. <laughs> i mean, is ready. She's ready.
0: Yes. Last substantive question for you before yeah. I let you go. You mentioned your dad and that story of when you were, it sounds like you were a teenager at the time. And he said, you're going to make such a great wife one day. And mm-hmm. you've taken time to consider what that meant. And you're like, I meant for so much more. So What would you say, what is like one thing you would say to ambitious Latinas like ourselves that maybe are in their teens, for example, or maybe even in their early 20s? How do they keep going? How do they accomplish their dreams? How do they follow their ambitions when maybe they have these cultural norms that are a little different than what those dreams are? What would you suggest to them?
1: Oh, so I'm like thinking about if I could go back and talk to that girl, I think, yeah, I probably was about 11, 12, maybe, but if I could go back and talk to her or even like anybody who's listening, right, it would just be so secure in who you are, like figure out who you are. And it's always a process, right? Like you're growing, you're developing and you're constantly changing and evolving, Um But it's really just be so secure in who you are and knowing what you want and knowing that it's okay, that it goes beyond the norm. I have an eight, my daughter will be eight in March, but it's so much of it is wanting to feel validated and included and a part of something, which I get, Mm -hmm. but it's, there's a program that I'm a part of and it's, we should all be millionaires, but it's a community of women who are just like uplifting each other to let what we call our freak flag fly, right? So it may not be like what everybody expects, right? And it may not be what people, you know, would assume, for example, right? Like I wear my hoop earrings and I talk about it all the time and I'm very loud and I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is who I am. But, and the reason why I talk about it so much is because when I do wear hoops, like literally every day, like I don't leave the house without them, but also because when I was younger and I went to, I was a scholarship kid at a very affluent high school and kids were going to Aspen and Belize for their summer break and things like that. And I was going to work with my dad and so much of it was like, I took my hoops off. I didn't put the gel in my hair to scrunch it up and like my fake curls, right? Like I changed my style of clothing because my dad, right. Ingrained in me that you have to fit in. You have to fit in with these rich white people that you're going to be going to school with. And so much of my, like my high school years, I tried to fit in with a group of people that just is not, it wasn't who I, I didn't really care. Like I'm not really friends with most of them, but it wasn't who I was. And I yeah. suppressed who I was for so long. And so for me, it's just be who you are. And it sounds so corny and cliche, right. But it's like, not everybody's going to like you. Even if you do the things that people are doing, right, that everybody else is doing, it doesn't mean they're going to like you. You're going to have people complaining, even whether you do, you do bad, it's never going to be good enough. So it's just commit to yourself, like right. fully commit to yourself and what you want and show up and be that person every single day, regardless of the naysayers, regardless of the things that get thrown at you just, and you will, I just posted recently too, because I had a situation where there was a white male attorney that I had reached out to in hopes of getting some like mentorship, right? Mm -hmm. And his response essentially was, you're wasting my time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, for a moment, I was like, I was offended. And I was like, oh, (laughs) he was like, Mm -hmm. you are with the wrong person, right? You don't want to help. Fine. I've been doing this on my own, but I will find the community and the people that will be willing to mentor me and that will help me elevate so that I will be doing, I'll leave you in the dust. And so a lot of that is like making sure you keep that fire lit and you surround yourself with people who are going to continually, genuinely motivating you, right? Be your most authentic self and find your people. Don't put out that fire or dim that light to try to fit in with the people that you think that you need to be there is so much that I'm like, Oh, whew, we are on fire. These next, like from here on out, there's yes. so much where I was like, and I was like, I feel like I've been so vanilla. I need to like, like, this is not me. Like I, I haven't even swore right now, but I have a potty mouth. I like, am fight- <laughs> like, I have so much energy and I get excited and I'm so passionate, but so much of that was suppressed. I think because of law school, because of the schools that I went to. And I'm yeah. like, I finally mm-hmm. get to be myself, and I'm like, I can only imagine what kind of a powerhouse I would be now if I had done it for 15 years prior. Twenty. Girl, years Girl, you prior. are a powerhouse. Let's look imagine like the world just wouldn't have been able to handle me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to go through those like life experiences to really develop myself, and that's the thing I want to. One last thing I do want to say on that is, if you go through situations where you have trauma, you're maybe you're abused, you have in a DV relationship, like. If you're going through these experiences and you're getting through them, know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but also use them to propel you even more. Just don't let yourself fall into like victimhood or, Oh, if I would have been born white, or if I would have been born a man, right? All of these things would have happened because it could easily, you fall into these, Oh, woe is me. Stop that. (laughs) Like you are exactly who you are supposed to be feeling what you want to feel and just really work through it. And, get a therapist, get a coach, find someone to help support you and you don't have to do it alone. So that's that. So good, <laughs> so good.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful. I feel like I, I met an hermana her here. Really excited to officially talk with you and just to have you as a guest. Just great. So with all that being said, where can people find you, Carmen? If they want to work with you, learn from you, all the things.
1: Yeah, so I'm all over social media, Instagram, Facebook. I am Carmen Rosas is my, my handle everywhere. Also, if you just type in Carmen Rosas attorney, California, I'm the only one that pops up or that or my CEO is really good, (laughs) but I'm the only one, like I'm the first few. And you'll also find articles and other podcasts that I've been featured on for more information, just around estate planning and what that looks like.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Everyone. Thank you for listening. Carmen. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you for speaking with our audience and you are definitely a star and so excited to see just all the things that you're able to accomplish and all the lives you're able to change through your work.
1: Thank you so much. This has been amazing.
0: Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to like, subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know, I'm technically an attorney and forever advocate that does speaking engagements and coaching when not podcasting and being a mama to my amazing daughters. Nothing in my podcasts, however, is ever to be construed as legal advice. These are for educational and enjoyment purposes only. Anywho, if you'd like to follow me in real time or get access to my free five must-have secrets for public speaking, follow me on Instagram at the Latina Advocate Podcast. That's the at symbol, then the Latina Advocate podcast, no spaces in between. Thanks and have a great day. See you next time.